Today we're going to be in Matthew 3. If you want to flip over there, it's just a very short little section, but uh, that's where we're going to start. I came across this story about St. Patrick. Now, we think about St. Patrick, we're usually thinking what? We're thinking March, March 17th, we're thinking St. Patty's Day, all of that. Well, remember, he was actually a real person, and he did things for the Lord. He did everything according to the best of his ability. But there's this story that goes back to the 5th century A.D. about St. Patrick baptizing King Aeneas, and he did so by full immersion. During that baptismal ceremony, as the story goes, St. Patrick had his staff there with him in the water and was leaning his weight against the water as he was baptizing the king. And unknown to him, the point of the staff went into the king's foot. And he was putting his weight down on the king's foot with a sharp staff. Now, as soon as he came back up out of the water and Patrick sort of looked around, he realized what he had done because the water turned red. And he bent over backwards to try to apologize to the king and and begged the king for his forgiveness. And the king was kingly about it. You know, he just said, no, don't worry about it. And St. Patrick asked him, he said, why did you suffer such pain in silence? And the king looked at him and said, I just thought it was part of the ritual. (laughs) This morning, we are going to be looking at the baptism of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all describe it. And if you think about it, that's pretty good evidence for the early church seeing this event as being of great importance. Now, Mark gives us the least amount of detail, just a a little short squib. Um, Luke gives a little bit more detail, but Matthew actually fills out the story much better. So we're going to kind of focus in on Matthew in chapter 3 to begin with. Then Jesus came from Galilee, from the Jordan, to be baptized by John, John the baptizer, yes. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then... John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, I know this is a well-known story. Anybody spend any time growing up in the church, coming through Sunday school, you have heard this story. So it's well-known. John the Baptist has been summoning everybody to come, people everywhere, to repent 
And Jesus, among the others, responds to be baptized. But have you ever wondered why did Jesus need to be baptized? Does Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, need to repent? I see some heads. Yeah, I, I believe we'd all agree, no, that's an unthinkable suggestion. But I think Matthew gives us a clue. We read that John the Baptist at first refused to baptize Jesus. Why? If you look at what Matthew records, it's because John felt unworthy. However, Jesus said, this has to happen in order for righteousness to be fulfilled. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? I got three words for you. Do you know what they are? (laughs) I don't know. I got three more. Do you know what they are? No, I'll tell you. But I suspect. Okay? People have pondered. There's been lessons. You have probably talked with somebody and come up with some ideas on this particular point. I think Michael Green, uh, writing in his commentary, The Message of Matthew, kind of hits the nail on the head when he said this. He said, by submitting to baptism, Jesus acknowledged God's claim on him, as on others, for total concentration of life and holiness of character. Now, I am not that flamboyant. I couldn't say it quite that way. But I think he makes a really good point. There on your outline, you see, for Jesus, baptism was a sign of his complete dedication to following the will of God. A sign of his complete dedication of following the will of God. For everyone else who came to John for baptism, this actually required a change of direction. Yes, that's what repentance is, is a change of direction. Hence, he has that call to repent from their old ways and turn to God's way of life. But Jesus, for him, baptism was simply a public declaration of his love for God the Father and his willingness to follow the will of God the Father in his earthly life. It was in essence, if you think about it, and I know this is a poor comparison. You know, lots of times illustrations are very poor, okay? But I think it kind of fits here. It was kind of a a pledge of allegiance. You know the pledge of allegiance for our country? I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands One nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. What are we doing there? We are pledging our lives to our country. Yes? When we say that. Uh, We are giving ourselves willingly, wholly, and completely 
to our country. We see this even stronger in the military oaths that are taken for those who join the forces to defend our country with their very lives. We too, when we step forward to be baptized, are making a pledge of allegiance. We are giving ourselves over to God. Now, unlike Christ, Scripture tells us, Acts twenty two sixteen, Romans 6, is that the water of baptism washes away our sin. Now, Peter knows that's a metaphor. He knows what's going on there. He's trying to help people to understand this. In 1 Peter 3, he, he is talking about what it means. In fact, there are scholars who think the whole text of 1 Peter was a baptismal service. And if you read through there thinking about that, and you think about the themes that 1 Peter hits, it makes a lot of sense. But there's this point in chapter 3 where he starts talking about Noah. Noah and the flood, and them being in the ark and being carried through the waters. And in a very Jewish way, he connects the waters of the flood to the waters of baptism. And so he goes from talking about Noah's flood and being saved to the flood. And in verse 21, we get, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Christ that saves. Amen? It is us coming into covenant with God where God saves us. We've talked about that a lot this year as we have been thinking about and praying about and going over basics as we are reaching further and further out into our community. Friend, think about it this way. There comes a time in our life where we fall in love and marriage becomes a real viable thing that may happen, right? We'll sit and we'll, we'll dream about it. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss it with, with, with the person we're planning on marrying. We even buy rings, and the rings symbolize the love, you know, that, that goes around, and it's solid, and it's never broken. By the way, um, some of you have probably noticed I don't wear my wedding wing, okay? That's partly because years ago, Um, due to some sickness, my body swelled up and the ring was dangerous for me and it wound up coming off. Now my hand's too small and it won't stay on. And Joy has said a couple of times, that's okay, just go get it resized. Well, to resize it means they have to cut it and they have to take a piece out. Then they have to shove it back together to make it work. And I refuse to do that. Not because I do not love my wife and do not want people to know I'm married. It's specifically because I love my wife and I don't want my love to be interrupted. Right? It's a symbol. But it's an important symbol. Oh, I I do have a silver one that I wear occasionally. It's too big too. Joy calls that the imposter. 
But when is it that we become married? Is it the first time when we said, I love you? Or is it when you propose? Or is it when we tell our friends that we're going to get married, tell them our intentions? Or today, is it when we move in together? Many in America would, today would tell you that that's so. No, it's not. We become married when we publicly declare our allegiance to the spouse, to be the spouse of another in a manner that is mandated by the state. Now, we get married before God, but we're also married in the eyes of the state. The state's the governing authority. When you stand up before a justice of the peace or somebody that is an agent, like a minister who's given the ability to do this, and one says, I take you to be my husband, and the woman says, I take you to be my... Wait, I got that backwards. The woman says, I take you to be my husband. The man says, I take you to be my wife. That's the legal contract. All the other things that go in the ceremony, they're wonderful and they're great and they remind us of the spiritual commitment, the the spirituality that needs to be in the marriage, the the fact our marriage needs to be a triangle where you've got the uh, bride and the groom and they have a relationship, they need to have a relationship with God, but the thing is, as they come closer to God, they also come closer together. Amen? Okay? When we publicly declare our allegiance to be the spouse of another in a manner mandated by the state, by the governing authority, that's when we're married. See, it's not simply a ceremony. There's an absolute commitment that's being made. Friend, according to Scripture, how is it that Jesus told us to declare our allegiance to him? And many of you may recall Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane when when he knew he was going to die on the cross and he was praying in the garden. Luke records it this way. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What is that? That is allegiance in action. Yes? Jesus was willing to defend God's kingdom and all its future citizens with his very life down to his very last earthly breath. It was the ultimate submission to the Father's will to go to that cross for your sake and for mine. 
in order to reconcile, in order to set us right with the Father, to lay down his life so that we can take ours up. There on your sheet, Jesus' baptism announced the beginning of his earthly ministry. Both John the Baptist and God the Father confirmed Jesus' unique call publicly. We go over to to John 1 uh, real quickly there. John 1 starting at 29. John the Baptist is speaking. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, this is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me, has surprised, surpassed me because he was before me. And then skipping down a few verses, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this Speaking of Jesus is the Son of God. Matthew, verse 317, says a voice, certainly the voice of God, said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And again at the Transfiguration, Matthew 9, 7 Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, Jesus and who else? Moses and Elijah. Yes, very good. I knew y'all would turn out to be great. I just didn't know it happened this quick. Enveloped the three of them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Jesus' baptism set him apart for ministry, ministry to you and I. Just as your baptism sets you apart for ministry to others who do not know him yet. You see, When you declare your allegiance to God, you also agree to do what he tells you to do. And you are set apart from the world to minister to the world by the grace that God has given you. There in your notes, Jesus' baptism is also an example for us. We see in Scripture very clearly that Jesus taught his followers to be baptized. And here in Matthew 3, he is giving a firm lead. His baptism is an example of what he expects us to do, what he expects us to follow. And in fact, his last words of instruction show that as well. Matthew 28, we read Jesus saying to his disciples, Therefore go, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, observe, to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even unto the end of time, to the end of the age. On the first day of the church, Peter repeats the will of the one who is in authority over him when he tells the crowd to repent and be baptized. Throughout the book of Acts, there are 13 different specific people or specific people groups that are mentioned as coming to faith in Jesus through the work of the early apostles. In each one of those cases, all 13 times, every single time, there is a clear conversion that's mentioned and the belief is acted upon. You will find the the phrase, they believed and were baptized. You can do a quick look through Acts this afternoon if you want and just look for that phrase and you'll see it. Friend, Scripture clearly lays out that baptism was important to the first century church and it was important to Jesus and if Jesus valued baptism enough to be our example then it should be valuable to us as well it pleases Christ when we declare our allegiance and allow his sacrifice to wash us clean not only that but we see it there in God's response. Jesus is baptized and he comes up and God says, he is mine and I am pleased with him. So, we can talk about a lot of different things when it comes to Jesus' baptism. There are some things we can, we can sit and we can harangue. There are some things that may be a matter of interpretation. I get all of that. But here's the application for today. We should live so that the Father is pleased with us. Sound fair? Amen? We should live so that the Father is pleased with us. For when God is pleased, nothing else matters. Father God, It is a joy to look at scripture and to see over and over again, even through the Old Testament, where it was so obvious that you were calling men to you, that you have been gracious throughout time. And even in Christ and in his words and the things that you continued to do through the apostles, through the book of Acts and the the writings of the apostles, You tell us over and over again that we are loved. 
and you give us the opportunity to choose you. For we know, Father, without Christ, our choice is to die in our sin. May we be encouraged, Father, that your love is there and beckoning us to join you in the work you are doing and to give you our allegiance. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.